0: I'm Trudy Morden Cole, and this is Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I talk to people about books. My guests this week are two of my fellow local writers. Jamie Fitzpatrick is the author of the recently released book, The End of Music, and Carrie Cull is a poet and also the author of the nonfiction work, Rock, Paper, Sex. They're both going to talk a little bit about their own books, but a lot about books that they've read and enjoyed, and as always, I started the conversation by asking both of them what they'd read lately that had left an impact on them.
1: That's a tough one, because I've been on a bad run this fall. I have started and abandoned several books.
0: Okay. I'm
1: sure the problem is me. Maybe. And it's not the books. (laughs) Um, Well, I kind of suspect the problem is me, and I don't say that just to be polite to the books. (laughs) Um, but I think sometimes with me, like if I start something and it's just really resonates with me, it's quite possible that if I had read it six months previous or six months later, maybe it wouldn't have that effect. Right. And if I start something that doesn't really work for me, then it's quite possible that two years ago, maybe it would have.
0: Right. So it's a matter of timing and where you're at.
1: Uh, we'll never know for sure, (laughs) but that's my suspicion because, uh, I've, I find with my reading, there's no rules of thumb. Right. So you pick up something and it just starts to happen for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Or doesn't.
1: Or doesn't. Uh, I also have the experience, not infrequently, of starting something and reading through it. I'm not being particularly satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. But then five years later, I remember it and think back on it far more than I do with something else that I enjoyed much more at the time. Interesting. So I don't always trust my initial <laughs> my initial reaction to uh, to books. Uh, one thing I have read lately, though, that I really enjoyed, and I read it because it cost two dollars on the Kobo, <laughs> was uh, Joyce Carol Oates, who I'd never read before, okay. and who's this, you know, kind yeah. of iconic American writer, and I'd never read her before, so I said, okay, I'll give her a try for two bucks, mm-hmm. absolutely. And the uh, book is Blonde, which is her fictional account of the story of Marilyn Monroe. Oh, I've Ooh.
0: heard of this one. Yes. Right,
1: and it's all these things that I'm normally not that interested. Big fat. Fictional bio Uh isn't the kind of thing I'd normally go at. Of course, on the Cobo, you don't know how fat it is. That's one advantage. And also the sort of American cultural, pop cultural icon. Like, do we really, you know, do I really need to hear more about Marilyn Monroe? No, I don't. But I picked it up and I read it anyway. And Uh it went really, really well. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, that's great. It worked for me.
0: Yeah, I heard about that one, and I usually do go for the big fat fictional bio, like that's the <laughs> the, the, the prototype of the book I would go for. So that's really interesting that, that it did uh, it did grab you even though you didn't expect it to.
1: Yeah, I had all kinds of doubts about it going in. Maybe that helped. I don't yeah. know.
0: Well, yeah, well, your expectations weren't set high.
2: Anyway. <laughs> I always feel guilty when I don't finish books. Mm, yeah. And it's taken me a really long time to get past that. Yeah, One of the first books that I read that I could not finish, and oh. I don't know what this is going to say about me, you guys might kick me out <laughs> this podcast, uh, was uh, Lord of the Rings.
0: Okay. I that's, could I not, think that's a legit opinion to have. I
2: could not get past it. I read 75 pages, mm-hmm. and I don't do fantasy, I don't do sci-fi. Yeah. Those are kind of the two right. genres that I don't do. And another one that I started that I could not get through was... Um, Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses. Oh, i never read that one. I had an original. I had one of the first publications. It was given to me as a gift. Uh-huh. Someone was like, oh, my God, you're going to love this. This is so important. Oh, and so I, couldn't, I couldn't get through it. Mm-hmm.
1: There's no shame in that.
2: There is no shame. <laughs> it's no, taken I'm me a long saying. time to get comfortable with <laughs> yeah. that, though, putting down a book. That, I don't know why.
1: One of the ones recently that I really struggled with and finally gave up on, and I feel like, you know, I feel bad for giving up on it is the book that won the it won the Booker Prize a couple of years ago a brief history of seven killings I think it's oh, called okay. by, yes. by yes. Marilyn James yeah, familiar with it. Um, and I heard him read from it out loud in some podcast it might have been writers and company with with Eleanor Wachtel but it might have been something else and read out loud this excerpt that I heard was fantastic and he was doing the Jamaican patois and all that and it was really right. making sense to me and I couldn't get it off the page and into my head as I read it mm-hmm. uh, so I set it aside uh-huh. and resolved you know I wasn't going to badmouth it. Right. There are some books that you'll happily badmouth around the dinner table because <laughs> yes. you just don't think no. they were worthy. But with this one, I just felt like we just didn't make a pair.
0: Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that one would have worked as an audio book if he does the audio book himself because I wonder if his voice is part of it. I don't know. That's interesting, because I haven't tried that one. But I've noticed it's a recurring theme with people I talk to on the podcast, whether or not they're comfortable with the idea of abandoning books. Mm -hmm. And most people have gotten to the point where they are, but not without some guilt. I think we've got Mm -hmm. that ingrained into us at an early age, that if you start it, you have to finish it. Uh, But it seems like uh, maybe with age comes the wisdom that life is short. There's a lot of books, and you don't have to finish I think you're right. Yeah, Yeah. when
1: I was 25, I'd plow through something. And now I'm in my 50s. Like, how many more books am I going to read? Exactly, yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, I had the most... In a book I was reading a while ago, a character who is quite elderly is starting to read a book, I think a library book, and she says... And she's in the doctor's office waiting for test results at the time. And she says it suddenly occurred to her that someday she would have started reading her last book. I was like, oh, oh, my gosh, my what boy. a thought about mortality that eventually you're going to read the last book you'll ever read. And what would that book be? What yeah, would you want it to yeah, be? Yeah, you'd want it to be something important, right? No words. But it wow. probably would yeah. probably be something trivial. That's a good and, question to ask, actually. It is, yeah. yeah. What would you want the last book? And it's interesting because this particular book ends with that character's death, and she by the time she dies, she can't read anymore, but people are reading out loud to her, and they finish reading the book like the night before she dies. Oh, so she my. actually does get to finish her last book so yeah it's a boy that went to a dark place really quickly <laughs> that was that was quick for talking about death um
1: speaking of being old and not being able to read books anymore and withering away and <laughs> dust to dust and all that um like if at some point in your life whether elderly or not you find yourself either without the means or the eyesight or anything else to read the audiobook seems to be bigger than ever. Yeah.
0: And doesn't. all you have to do is lie there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I don't listen to audio books. I read ebooks and paper books. Uh, the audiobook book, but I, I'm, I'm kind of keeping that in mind as a possibility for something. I love my audio life. books. Yeah. Some people seem to really be drawn to them, yeah?
2: Yeah, I like them because you can get more books in in a short amount of time. Yeah. If you're listening sure. to audiobooks, you can listen to them in your car and That's so right. on. That's right, yeah. But I don't, like, I don't like listening to audiobooks that are fiction. I oh, only okay. like listening to non-fiction. Biographies, hmm. yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah,
2: I don't know why. I don't, I think I think it's because I don't like the acting part of it. Oh, so okay. if someone is reading an audiobook and then they mimic a character or they right. go into character, yeah. Yeah. That, I don't
0: like that at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know why. I like audio fiction. Okay. Hmm. Yep.
0: I find my mind wanders too much for audiobooks. Like I'll be listening to, you know, if I'm listening to podcasts or listening to an interview on CBC, not one of yours, of course, but I'll be, you know, like I'm driving <laughs> along, I'll be listening to something. Train of thought comes up, and I drop back into the audiobook or to the podcast or interview or whatever, and I think, oh, I just missed five minutes of that because I was thinking about something else. Mm. So I'm afraid if I was listening to audio books, there'd be all these big gaps where I'm not paying attention.
1: You had to be careful when you listen to them, yeah. right? Like, you had to be doing something. It's You don't have to sit there, but whatever exactly. it is you are doing has to be kind of mindless.
2: Yes. Or yeah. kind
1: of autopilot, It's I great think. for
2: cleaning. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I put my phone in just, like, you know, the pocket uh-huh. of my plaid shirt or whatever right. I wear yeah. when I'm cleaning, and then... I can clean the whole house, yeah. get through half a book.
1: I do that too, although yeah. I never clean the whole house.
2: <laughs> That's got
1: nothing to do with audiobooks.
2: Well, one of the books um, you mentioned, a book that you've read that you were that yeah. excited about. I read this book recently called The Girl with No Name The Incredible True Story of a Child Raised by Monkeys oh my by goodness. Marina Chapman, and it is incredible. So... When she was four years old, she was taken and then abandoned in a Colombian jungle mm-hmm. and lived there for six years, five or six years oh, with monkeys. So she was ultimately feral when yeah. she was found. And that's only kind of the first half of her story. Wow. She then, there's there's all this other stuff. She's trafficked. She, It's incredible. Anyway, she is a grandmother now. She lives and breathes in this world as a normal human. I don't know how. Wow. Her, yeah. But yeah, incredible.
1: Did you read that as an audio book or a book book? A book book um here's here's a question if i may be the take trudy's place and be <laughs> the <interviewer> for <laughs> me. The i'm interested in, in not just in what people read but in how they pick it because there are so many options out there so many recommendations you can drift through a bookstore and the guy probably should be reading all these but there's no way to tell which one is going to appeal to yeah. me how'd you decide to pick it up
2: uh i love animals i love gorillas monkeys i'm really drawn to that, I don't uh-huh. know why. Um, but, and I also find it really interesting, the idea of feral children. Like, I just find that mm. so odd yeah. and gross and weird and captivating and interesting. So you put those two things together and, yeah. you know, have me hoped it's a true story, so.
0: Have you read the novel We Were All Completely Beside Ourselves? By Ke- I think it's Karen Joy Fowler. Oh, you should, if you're really interested in apes and monkeys and all that kind of thing, which <laughs> I'm not, it's amazing I love that novel because I actually am creeped out by monkeys. And generally, like, <laughs> If there's any monkeys or apes anywhere near the story, I'll avoid it. But that one, I have to say, that was that as a, as a fictional treatment of that topic, I think you would find that really That's interesting. That's an interesting yeah. fact about you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it's actually traced back to my roommate's sock monkeys in college, which I found really disturbing. So wow. Yeah, I'm sure she had the room decorated with these sock monkeys that her mother made. Anyway, let's not get into my monkey phobia because it's kind of disturbing. But
1: I think we should actually. No. <laughs> I don't
0: think we should go there at all. I think should ask more about books that you guys have enjoyed. Uh, Anything else that's been uh, really on your mind lately, book-wise?
2: I just started *Barreling Forward* by Eva Crocker. Oh yes! Oh cool! Yeah, yeah and I've read her short fiction in other places, mm-hmm. you know, in you know papers and so on. When she's won awards and and right. stuff, and I just absolutely love her voice, love everything oh, about no. her writing. So I just got that book, mm-hmm. and I'm diving into
0: that. So I'm excited about that. I've read. My daughter has that book, and I've read. A f- I haven't read all of them, but I've read a few of the stories. She is. She's got a great voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I tend to read local books in little bunches, uh-huh. and I try to think of them as though, you know, this is just another book that I'm picking up. It doesn't matter that I know what kind of beer this person <laughs> oh, drinks yeah. or whatever. It's, hard. it's just another book. It is but, hard, But uh, in fact, yeah, that is hard because it's not what I do There's because there's got to be some reason why I tend to read a little bunch of like three or four mm-hmm. and then not go local for a year and then yeah, read I mean, three or four I more so I, I, I do that in little in little clusters so yeah my next cluster I should put Eva's book at the top I think
0: what I was I in your most recent cluster what, 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 what
1: did it? I read most recently local um I read this is very exciting to have read a book before it you know, got nominated and won awards and all that uh-huh. kind of stuff. The uh, Joel Thomas Hines book. will oh, well, I've in read it well. one night. I was really pleased with myself any time that I've read something before, before it wins an award. Yeah. Same,
0: yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny with that <laughs> Which
1: is one. stupid. I, but I anyway, had, actually, it's a good book. doesn't matter if it never won anything. Yeah. It's good. I really liked it.
0: I had uh, checked into trying because I get a lot of ebooks through the library and I thought oh I'll, I should read Joel's new book from the library and so I was a little bit of a wait list for it five or six weeks or whatever and then it was announced as the award winner and I went back to the library and it's like you are now number seventy five <laughs> on, on the wait or list. you will be waiting seventeen <coughs> weeks to read right. this book yeah. so there's a lot of demand for it which is great of which course which is good yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, I also read I should mention because it's not out yet. Um, because we know we're in the same writing group, I read The Boat People by Sharon Bala. Yes. And yeah. that Sharon's book is going to be released internationally in January, and she's totally deserving of it that. It is
0: going to be a huge hit, yes.
1: I think it, ought to, it certainly ought to be. I, I can't think, predict that it it's, a, it's a good
0: book. I had the privilege of reading uh, what she tells me is an earlier draft, and that it's been through a few versions since then uh, when she won the um, the award for the um, Arts and Letters. The Percy C. James. The first novel award. First yeah, novel I was award. a judge for that and got to right. read it then and it was you know, it was outstanding at that point. So uh, uh, that's that's gonna be okay folks, that's gonna be a big book to look out <laughs> for in twenty eighteen, <2018, laughs> The Boat People by Sharon Bala for sure. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of local books, um, Again, through the library ebooks, I just got the email that your digital hold is automatically borrowed for uh, Mary Walsh's Crying. For okay, the milk, which... I haven't read that yet. No, it's I, on my It's been on my list for a while, so it just kind of dropped onto my device earlier today. So that's going to be. So now you had to read it. it. Yeah. So you had these these,
1: these automatic withdrawals from the library library, because you were on the list. You were on the list. And then it comes and it's like, well, I'll
0: just have to put everything else aside and read this now. So the
1: library drone told you that you were now reading this book. Exactly. That's fair enough. I mean, sometimes it's not a bad thing to have these decisions made for you (laughs) by having the the book suddenly appear because um, I do find myself struggling a lot with the anxiety of choice. Yeah. And yeah, I sometimes go several days not knowing what to read next, um, and then you know pick up one with a with this nagging thought that what if the other three that you could be reading are better Would than have this been one better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that kind of thing. And finally, like you you settle into something and mm-hmm. you know it goes and then finally you can read. But I have I I have yeah I have issues when I'm between books.
0: <laughs> so how do you choose books? That was that was your question.
1: For yeah, you because I don't have a system, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Like uh, choosing something by somebody who, you know, you like their last one or you like the one that you read before. Right. That's usually reliable, but not always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes they (laughs) let you down. Um, Choosing something because it was recommended to you either by a friend or even not even a friend, just someone you trust is all over the map right that may or may not work and choosing something because it's kind of having a big sort of media moment or is getting a lot of social media play and that kind of thing that doesn't work either so i feel like i'm random
2: yeah you know i go ahead i was just gonna say that i use my goodreads list Uh i i live by that Mm -hmm. um so i always look at what i have in my bookshelf so that i haven't read i think about what i've read before, and I always got a couple of books going at one time, so mm-hmm. if I'm reading fiction, um, then I, I might have a book of poetry going as well, and maybe yeah. some nonfiction. but recently I read a few books, that, and it didn't, I don't know, when I was done, I wasn't like, oh, that was such a great book, and I hadn't had that feeling in a long time, mm-hmm. and so I was going through my bookshelves, and I was taking out books that I haven't read that I thought, I think this one will be really good, and I mm-hmm. took out A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki, I'm not sure okay. if you've read no, that, I and... Um there's a couple that I took out that I'm just I just have there now. So when I need to go to a book that I really truly feel is going to be amazing, I'll okay. pick from that pile. But I'm also in a book club with um, a lot of women who have a lot of different tastes and the okay. last two books we read were not that great. Uh-huh. So I it's was hard. really digging for something that was going to be really rich and mm-hmm. you know the kind of book that at the end you close it and you sigh. <sighs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: A friend of mine keeps threatening to start up a book club that only reads books in translation, so they were originally well, written in a foreign language translated to English, and we'll read that those would be interesting, if that ever happens, if he ever gets around to following through on his threat, um I want to be in the club because I do like the idea i i do I do want to get outside of the western yeah world,
0: yeah, right? Yeah.
1: And sometimes I do that with my own picks, mm-hmm. sometimes it works out better than others, but that's alright, all my books picks, that's, <laughs> that applies to all my my book picks, and it'd be really interesting to uh, to talk to people about it, and also to people who might know a bit about translation, because mm-hmm. this guy does, right? Yeah. So that is yeah. a neat idea. I've been... And also it would get you some left field yes, choices yeah, that you'd never find yeah. yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. I've been making a really concerted effort this year to diversify my reading list with a lot more Indigenous writers and writers mm-hmm. of colour and writers from other countries, but I've still been sticking to people who write in english not Mm -hmm. reading you know a a lot in translation Uh, and i feel like i'm a little bit intimidated to read you know translated works i don't know why because i mean they are in english but uh yeah yeah just there's a bit of a mental barrier there but i think it's really good to to consciously try to get past those mental barriers that Mm -hmm. we have in our reading you know and not just read the same thing that you always read yeah
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely Yeah. yeah
0: I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a person who judges books by their covers, and I feel guilty about the way I pick books uh, because I feel like I, I still love the brick-and-mortar bookstore, but I do most of my reading in ebooks and so I will walk around chapters pick out covers that look interesting, snap yeah. a picture of it, and then add it to my Goodreads list, and most likely I'll eventually read it as an ebook. I yeah. feel like I should be paying them some tax for this. <laughs> one. I thought maybe the five dollar coffee from Starbucks that I'm That's drinking great. while I'm doing this is my tax to the bookstore. Yeah.
2: I think everyone's I like that. Yeah. Like one of the last book club picks that someone suggested. She she told me what it was. I went to the bookstore and it was just a pink Cover with white lettering, and I was like, "I'm not gonna like this book. I know I'm not gonna like it." Yeah. But I was pleasantly surprised by it. Okay. So I don't know what that means, but uh it was better than I thought it was okay. gonna be. You want to say what it was? Or I feel like I shouldn't.
1: Okay. But All right. yeah, <laughs> we'll that. That, that in down. any case, <laughs> pink okay. or white cover, and better than you thought it was. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I feel like actually I have a fairly narrow. I t- the re- one of the reasons I try not to be too hard on the books that don't really work for me is that I feel like I have a pretty narrow sweet spot yeah <laughs> and I don't trust uh books that I love a lot well, that's an interesting I don't question. really what? What do I don't mean? trust that response entirely so like <laughs> one of my favorite authors contemporary authors is uh Tessa Hadley okay. she's Welsh she writes novels and short stories that are essentially like contemporary uh Social dramas, okay. right? Really well, really literate soap operas, basically, oh, yeah. you know, and really extremely well done. I love See, almost. Right
0: away, you've already sold me
1: on her. Yeah, so <laughs> I love everything I read by her, and even if like this novel didn't work as well as the last one, every sentence is a pleasure to read, and all the characters are good. There's, there's always pleasure to be taken from it. So I always go back to her and read everything that she does. One of the few people that I read everything that she does, but I don't want to read stuff like that that I love all the time. I. Mm-hmm. Woods, I think then maybe I'm getting a bit too comfortable and I'm getting a bit boring without knowing it. And I'm more inclined, I think, to respond. My, I have, a, I think, a richer, I don't know, a better response to books that I struggle with a bit, mm. to books that, you know, there's going to be stretches of time you don't know what's going on or what that character is at or yeah. what the hell was that or... <laughs> Um, i tell you one that was recently like that was The Lonely Hearts Hotel by Heather O'Neill.
0: Okay. Oh, I've writers. read
2: all her others but that
1: one. So I thought her short stories were fantastic in the previous uh, Daydreams of Angels, the previous uh, collection before that. And sometimes if you think someone's short stories are fantastic, you can see they've written a big fat novel. Mm-hmm. Even if they've done it before, you think, well, I don't know, am I going to like the novel? Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that novel. And it kind of, there were times when it annoyed me. I didn't know what she was doing and those characters. And this is kind of weirdly written and the style isn't quite my... So anyway... But in it was a really really re- rewarding struggle, uh-huh. and I put it down thinking that it was great, that it was worth and it. I still yeah. think it's great, yeah. and I would recommend it to anyone. And if it's not your rewarding struggle, that's fine.
0: Yeah.
1: But I yeah I, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to love things too much, and I don't want books to be too beautiful because then I get afraid that like they're all going to turn into big Hallmark cards. I'd rather, <laughs> I, I want to fight and argue with them a bit.
0: I do think, I, I kind of like that idea. There's a historical fiction writer who's been writing so, for so long, she's dead now, uh, but I only just discovered her in the last two years, Dorothy Dunnett. And her books are a lot of work. Like, you you know, you're halfway into it. And you're like, I'm really not sure what any <laughs> of these people's motivations are. And she, you know, it's set in this world that's hundreds of years ago and so richly detailed that I keep getting confused and lost. But at least the first series of hers that I read, it was such a great payoff at the end. And when you got there, it was like, oh, every little piece makes sense. And she was putting together this incredibly intricate puzzle. So now I've just started her second series, which is eight books. And when, at the end of the first book, I posted on an online discussion forum where I knew a bunch of people had read her books. said, like, is this going to become clearer to me as I go along? Because I'm still <laughs> really confused about a lot of things and a lot of this character's motivations. And they're like, oh, no, you have to read all eight books mm-hmm. before it makes You have to stick sense. with like, it. That's a big commitment. Yeah, but huge yeah, I is. wouldn't... Commit to that. <laughs> I wouldn't be have out. if I hadn't read the previous series and loved it, but having trusted her once on this kind You're of You're going to trust I her this time? again. Yeah. yeah, It's
1: funny,
2: the first time I read The Grace of Wrath, I was mm. like, I hate this. <laughs> Who cares? That was John Steinbeck, right? Yeah. I couldn't get into it at all, and I was really young. I guess I was 19 mm. or 20, and I just, I don't know, I didn't pay attention to it the way I should mm. have. But when I read it five or six years later, mm. I, com- I related to it in a completely different way, and I absolutely loved it. So I find mm. it really interesting how... You, you can relate to books yeah. differently over time as yes, well. For sure. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Every time I've read The Stone Angel, is a different experience for me. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I feel like it's a book everyone should read.
0: Definitely, yeah. And imagine how different your perspective will be when you're 90 and you read The Stone right. right. Angel. <laughs> right, I
1: don't reread much for that same, same. reason. that you yeah. Like you don't, uh, you, you figure you only have so many books in your life. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, why read one again? I don't reread a whole lot.
0: I reread my favorites. I used to reread a lot more when I was younger, but I think, again, with this thing of how we choose books, the advent of the Internet has made me so much more aware of so many new books yeah. that mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel like, oh, no, there's I'll never get through my Goodreads list, for example. Yeah. Uh, but I still there's still some favorites that I do reread. Yeah.
1: I was thinking of uh, rereading a Trollope oh. sometime soon. I had to know
0: that i read uh, because, all, almost all of Trollope. Yeah, Anthony
1: Trollope is like among my favorites among the Victorian crowd, and I, mm-hmm. I like the Victorian crowd. And those are books, again, to the opposite of the last thing I was talking about. Like the, the, Those are books that I don't struggle with. I yeah. settle into those stories mm-hmm. and feel totally at home in them, and every once in a while you need to do that. And it's November, and it might be time for me it to do that. To <laughs> it might be a good book. time to start uh, that, The book
0: yeah. I mentioned earlier, which is part of a series with the character who's thinking about this might be the last book I ever read, is from a series by um, Catherine Fox, who's a contemporary British writer, who in this particular trilogy says she is very consciously trying to write a modern Anthony Trollope, like Trollope for the okay. 21st Century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all set around the life of a cathedral community, as, as like he did with Barchester. Uh, so, kind of interesting for someone to take that, you know, that 19th century sensibility and try to translate it into the, the world of It's a, a contemporary... Yeah it's, yeah, it's set in the contemporary, you know, a contemporary community, but trying to do some of that same thing that Trollope was doing of, I guess, looking at the interweaving of so many people's lives in this one tight-knit community. So, yeah, I haven't read Trollope since my master's in university. But I did, it's interesting what you say about Grapes of Brass, because I did a few years ago try to go back and reread a bunch of the classics that I didn't have a great experience with the first time around. And Mm -hmm. almost universally, they were better on rereading as a more mature reader than, Mm -hmm. yeah haven't gone back to Moby Dick, though. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that.
1: don't know if I can go there. No. No, I didn't read it the first time around.
0: No, I haven't read it.
2: No, I had to in university. There's a lot of those classics that I feel like I should have read, and I haven't. Yeah.
1: Those are... Some of those books are the ones that are good for group reading, whether it's like a book club that you're in, or just a group that comes together for the length of that one book. Mm. So, like, every couple of weeks, you know, everyone reads a few chapters, and then that's... um, I still haven't gotten through Ulysses, but the people I know who've read it, that's how they did it. Really? Right? By getting together to talk about it.
0: Huh, that might work. Have you read Ulysses?
2: No, I've read Dubliners, and I went to Ireland in 2015, and I did the James Joyce everything, you know, and, you know, like, went to the, the... writers museum did the james james joyce literary tour and i was like that's it i have to read ulysses this is it Uh and i got home and i was like okay all i gotta do is read a page a day and Mm -hmm. then in a couple years i'll be through it (laughs) and i think i got to page 26 and then i never went back so maybe that's the way to do it maybe
1: might
0: be i started uh infinite jest david foster wallace's you know
1: Giant giant three yeah.
0: inch thick book. Um, and I started it that way with a group of people online who were going to read it over the summer and keep checking in with each other. And I think two of us finished. Everyone else dropped off over the course <laughs> of the Did summer. you finish? Yeah, I did. I way did. to go. I have Good read for Infinite Jest. Not Ulysses, but I have read Infinite Jest. So.
1: My last attempt at Dickens was with a group. Yeah. It was my final crack because <laughs> I've never liked him. Okay. And everyone thinks he's the greatest thing, you know. Uh, and I made several attempts as a student and after a student, after I was a student, you know, and, and finally there was a group reading one of them. I can't remember which. So I did that for a while and that I lasted 100 pages of that. And this decided I was, there was never going to yeah. be me and Dickens were never going <laughs>
0: to never, never going to happen for you no. and Dickens. So. No. And I think it's OK, you know, even it's like a classic author to just make that judgment at some point. This is never going to happen. I'm never going to enjoy these books and that's OK. <laughs> You don't have to read
1: but I think, yeah, like there is something to be said for reading. I, geez, when, when are most people university students if they're doing an arts degree and doing English courses? I guess 19, 20, yeah, 21, 19, 20, 22. 21, yeah. You know, I mean, I was assigned Austin novels and, and Trollope, and I just remember this one Victorian literature course where I was assigned all these great books. I wasn't reading any of them.
0: When I was I was busy. I <laughs> a life to live.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I would, you know, I would scratch together enough knowledge of them and read like the first and the last paragraph of each chapter or something but the real rewarding experience came several years later when i kept all those books then started reading them mm-hmm. at my own pace and it was fantastic like i read all of austin that way probably about a time i was i don't know 34 like it took me yeah. about a decade right and i think i was really well set up for it by having taken the course even though i didn't yeah. you know obviously you wasn't, obviously wasn't, a, wasn't a great student yeah. right but uh, but then there's other things that i think yeah there, there are some things that you just can't I think there are books that you can't get through on your own, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean,
2: fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I think about so all the books that I'm missing out on, you know, like yeah. something that's, like you say, three inches thick. Yeah. I don't know. I have a, a reading goal that I want to
0: get to every year. Do yeah. you guys have that, or X, Y, Z no. amount of books? Yeah, I've never said that, uh, but I, I know it's a thing people do, yeah.
2: Yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that, and it would help me get through longer books. Maybe, I find yeah. the really thick books very intimidating. But you mentioned university. The best university course I ever did, I did a... Uh, graduate course with Larry Matthews and it was all university novels oh, okay. so it was like David Lodge Richard Russo and all oh, these yeah. amazing books that revolved like Disgrace by uh, J.M. Coetzee, like all oh, these amazing okay. books that revolved around the Ivory Tower right. and academia be- yeah. Yeah, yeah so interesting oh, that's the a, best that course that's
0: an interesting focus for uh, yeah mm, that's cool
1: yeah. A Lot of creepy old guys in that canon, I think. Yeah,
2: yeah she can say it yep. of
0: very, very yeah, yeah very male, male centered, dominated
2: yeah. old white yeah. guy yeah. sort of yeah. books. Yeah. But a lot of them are funny and yeah. good.
1: But having said that, you know, like the old <laughs> white males who dominate these books, I mean the characters, not the authors, don't they always come out that looking too. that great. No, no, they
0: shouldn't. Sure <laughs> no, that's for sure. Don't. <laughs> what about books that have left a big, like a lasting impression on you? Like books that, you know, their influence on you has lingered for years. Are there books like that for you?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, well, I have a like a bell jar tattoo. Oh, wow.
0: And as cliche
2: as it is, I know a lot of people, they talk, you know, you talk yeah. about Sylvie Plath's bell jar. But I've been a huge fan of, and I just read that book over and over and over. And every time I read it, I relate to Esther Greenwood differently. Uh-huh. And I just love Plath anyway. I've read all of her poetry and, mm-hmm. you know, all the documentaries and and so on um, but yeah that book is just one of the ones that I give all the time as gift to younger women I I I just loved it it is it, I think I'll read it till the day I
0: die that's great over and over that's great it's so cool that you have a tattoo of it mm mm-hmm. I love I, lo- I love literary inspired tattoos I haven't yet gotten one but I, I love the idea
1: <laughs> I don't know if I have that many that I would rank above the rest mm. Um. I've loved lots of books. I've not loved some and fought with them, and uh-huh. we've come to terms. And they 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 were good too. Like I was talking about a few minutes ago. Um, and when I think of foundational books, uh, I still think of Trollope, who I already mentioned, mm-hmm. and of Jane Austen, especially Emma. Yes. Um, and a few, but I think that's a time of life thing.
0: It might be as yeah. much as
1: anything else. Yeah. They're foundational books because I read them at foundational times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, lots of stuff makes an impression on me and like uh, for reasons I don't even understand um, but I don't think I'd be hard I'd be hard pressed to rank like a top five or a top yeah. ten or something yeah
0: what about you oh um, man I feel like you know even though I mean I've got an undergrad and a master's degree in English so I have read most of the classics except for a few that I managed to enjoy but the, uh, to avoid but the books that have probably shaped me the most are not necessarily classics Mm -hmm. uh, or great works of literature. And sometimes it is just a matter of, yeah, I think, like you say, the time in your life at which you were reading that book. Like... um, Uh, Dorothy Sayers' Gaudy Night, which is, you know, a 1930s classic mystery, but also, I think, possibly one of the greatest love stories in the English language, uh, certainly in the 20th century. Uh, That's a hugely, hugely pivotal book for me. It's one that I keep returning to and rereading every few years, and I've long since passed the point where, because I'm great with mysteries because I have a terrible memory. So I can actually read a mystery novel a few years later and have forgotten everything and I'm forgotten the same way. when have done it. So <laughs> I was that way with Gaudi Knight the first two times I read it. But now I've read it so many times. And all the ones she wrote in that series. But that's, that's the classic of, of that for me. Um, and the books I read as a kid, like A Wrinkle in Time and the Narnia series and, and some of those... Uh, yeah, maybe just because I read them when I was so young and my brain was such wet, impressionable clay. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, that, with the mysteries, do you, like, have you ever picked one up and read all the way through and finished it and then realized later that you'd have read it I'd 10 already years read it. before? Yes, yes,
0: yeah, yeah. That has happened to me. I think probably with something like an Agatha Christie or something. Oh, that's really yeah. useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can I can definitely read if, if there's enough space in between it. Because I think because I don't read for plot um i read mostly for character and i'm mostly interested in character mm-hmm. so because the mystery is so plot driven i can actually be really immersed in the characters and the setting and completely forget the details of the plot and that's why a, a good mystery can surprise me again when i come back to it a couple of years later it's funny that you say that
2: cuz in your writing you're very character driven yes
0: yes definitely. your books
2: yeah. are all about the characters it's fantastic yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I hope it So does, it's, I find yeah. it interesting
2: that that's what you gravitate towards too. Yeah, it, the,
0: well, I mean, that's what that's what always pulls me into a story as a writer, and I guess it does as a reader too. That it's it's about the characters, it's about the people. And yeah. then, I mean, certainly in my own writing, uh, sometimes I'm like, oh, I guess I have to add in a little plot and make something happen to these people. But really, I could just watch them wander around for quite a while and be happy with them. I feel
1: that way, too. And in fact, um, part of the struggle that I had when I first started writing was I was only interested in people and I wasn't interested in their stories. Yeah. So I used to think that character was really the only important thing. And plot was just this sort of, you know, device that you use to move people through the novel and, yeah. you know, and people who don't really read you know they're the ones who care about plot but in fact it's all it's that's nonsense because it's all one it is, ball yeah. of wax so if you start to pull on the thread and say oh yes. this is more important than that then the whole thing falls apart anyway then you're
2: doing a literary course in university yes <laughs> and it ruins the, it for you. the worst the worst possible
1: uh no
2: the worst of all possible
1: um i was thinking also when you were asking about like books that really made an impression on you and lasted for a long time yeah i i do think that um timing is so much of it Mm -hmm. Uh, like I still have a really strong memory of reading uh, London Fields by Martin Amos Mm -hmm. and I've never been a particular, I don't know, he's he's fine I've read fiction and nonfiction by him and he's good, he's had some really good short stories that I liked in in a collection a few years back, he's not that fashionable anymore cranky old English alcoholic (laughs) guys are (laughs) no longer that fashionable and um, but uh, that was the first time I'd ever read something by him it was at some point where I'd never read anything like that before. I probably hadn't wasn't reading a whole lot of contemporary fiction at the time, and that's uh-huh. pretty contemporary. And for a whole bunch of reasons, I lingered over it, and it really, really stuck with me. I don't even remember if I think it's that great of a book. But uh, something, you know, at the right time, certain doors are open and the book rushes in to fill it up. And and there you are. I hadn't thought about that book in years, but it popped into my mind now. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a coincidence, you know. Mm
2: -hmm. I love how books remind me of times in my life, you know. Like if I look at my list of books that I've read over the years, I'll see a book or see a book cover or think about the book that I read. Oh, yeah, that's when I moved to Labrador. Or that reminds me of when I was going through this hard time whenever, you know. And I really love that kind of that narrative that your bookshelf can create for you
0: yeah yeah Yeah, and
2: i think that's why i really like paper books over ebooks yeah is is that story that when i go into my room where i have all my books you know i can i'm reminded of different times in my life yeah if you're not a reader you don't get it i find i explain that some people who aren't readers and they're like
0: yeah whatever Mm-hmm. But but people have that with other things too, and people have it with music, obviously. Yes. You know, the music yeah. reminds you, or for some people, like it would never be for me because this is such a peripheral thing to me. But some people have that with clothes, like mm. you know, I remember the dress that I was wearing the night yeah. I met whoever, you know. Yeah. But for me, yeah. it would definitely be well, partly the music, but also the book, the books I was reading at the at that crucial time in my life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah a couple of years ago, uh, I was reading over the summer. This is again, I've been sort of trying to pick it books from from foreign cultures and foreign nations so it was the novel's called back to back and it's written by a german writer named julia frank and it's long and it's a tangly family story and the family was really miserable and i was kind of miserable reading it because it's (laughs) like the the misery is infectious because she writes so well And I might not have gotten through it, except that I was reading it in the middle of summer, and it was a nice summer, and otherwise everything was kind of going smoothly. Nobody was, you know, sick. Nobody was sick or dying. Everything (laughs) was like, you know, everything was sort of waiting for it to happen. Right. And the roof wasn't falling in on the house and the car wasn't breaking down and all those (laughs) things that, you know, kind of erupt in your life. None of that was happening and the weather was nice. And because of that, I think I was okay settling into a book that was kind of miserable. Mm. And if I've been reading it in January... And we kept getting, like, blizzards, and the snow clearing was crap, and you couldn't get through the sidewalks, I wouldn't have read it.
0: Oh, yeah. I've told this story on the podcast before, but um, there's a book called, um, I'm blanking out on the title, The Age of Miracles, Um, Karen Thompson Walker, I think, which is about... It's not exactly sci-fi, it's a little bit dystopian, but it has the premise that the Earth's rotation starts gradually slowing down for reasons that nobody knows. And, of course, it has hideous effects on the climate and, you know, just everything goes horribly wrong. Um, And it's a great book. Unfortunately, I started reading it and... Then Dark L hit, and we were without wow. power for four days. And all I'm reading right. this dystopian novel about society crumbling because all the structures they put in place don't work anymore. And I'm, you know, reading this by flickering candlelight like thinking how dependent we are on, you know, our electricity grid and everything. It was, it was a really <laughs> traumatic time to be reading a dystopian novel. Did you stick with it? I did. I stuck with it. I finished it. Good for you. Uh, but, the lights eventually came back yeah, on. the lights eventually came back on. But that book and Dark L are forever linked in my mind, mm-hmm. you know. As, as the uh, the traumatic experience. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask both of you you're both writers you both have new books either just out or coming out are there any books that for you are inspiring as a writer like either in general books about writing or books that have helped you as a writer or with the specific book that you've you know that you, your current book is there anything that you know that you've been reading that's either helped you in the process or, spurred you along or anything? There's a book by Stephen Pressfield called
2: um, The War of Art. Okay. And it's really just about doing it like actually just for better or worse just regardless of what you create or don't create just getting into it and making the decision to start something and seeing it through Uh so for my last book i kind of had to take on that attitude right because i didn't know what i was getting into yeah
0: because you're i mean you can talk a little bit about your book because it's not quite a difficult subject right
2: right so for anyone who doesn't know it's on the sex trade in saint john's Uh and so when i started researching that i had no idea how what where it was going to lead, or how I was even going to do it, I just started doing interviews. Uh-huh. So that book, The War of Art, um, I just kind of kept thinking about that. Uh-huh. And I also read um, Stephen King's, I think it's called On Writing, yeah, I can't Stephen remember, I read writing, that a yeah. long time ago, and I've listened to it in an audio book, mm-hmm. and I think that is such a fantastic read for anyone who is a creator of art or it writing, is, or, yeah. it's just phenomenal.
0: Yeah. yeah, I agree, Stephen King's On Writing is definitely one of my top books on writing, that's mm-hmm. a great one. Yeah, and I, I like I haven't heard of the other one, but
1: uh, yes, what's the other one called again? Sure. It's called
0: The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh, okay. I always, by the way, I always publish a blog post along with the uh, with every podcast listing all the books that everybody mentioned in case people are like, "Oh, oh cool. i want to check that one out." Uh, but yeah, that sounds like a good one too. And I, I anything that helps you get past those those mental blocks that mm-hmm. you set up for yourself, I think is good. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's cool. Um. When it comes to books that are actually about writing, as in like how-to guides or advice or whatever, uh, I've also read On Writing by Mm -hmm. Stephen King, but that was a long time ago. Um, James Wood, I think his book is called How Fiction Works. Okay, yeah. Um, I read that quite a while ago too. Well, quite a while, within the last five years, I suppose. Uh And I think he has a very good grip of (laughs) how (laughs) fiction works. And Robert Olin Butler is an American writer. I think he's won the Pulitzer and stuff. He's got a bunch of novels out. I don't think he's as active now as he was some years ago. He wrote a book called *From Where You Dream*. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, for me, there was a stretch in my writing life when that was a little bit of a bible for me because I adopted. He has a lot of practical advice yes, on yeah. brainstorming and how to, you know, how to come up with ideas and how to mm-hmm. record your ideas and what to do with them. And I relied on that a lot. Actually, there's there's a method he has for brainstorming that I've relied on for both my novels, the last oh, one and the new one. Yeah,
0: that book yeah. was really super highly recommended to me by um, a friend of mine who's also a writer and she loved it. And I picked it up and started to read it. And really early on in the book, he has a and I can't remember what it was but some kind of a statement that's a you should always or you should never statement about writing. And that is such a, and I don't remember what the thing was or why I disagreed with it, but that's such a red flag to me. I can't stand to have anyone tell me (laughs) you should always do this or you should never do this as a writer. Because I'm like, no, you know, whatever your writing rule is, there's always an exception. Find the way that works for you. Uh, So I think I threw up a mental block for myself with that book and I didn't finish reading it, but I've heard it recommended by so many people that I kind of want to give it another try and get past that.
1: (laughs) <laughs> maybe you're just being a difficult pupil that way i day. think i am I think a difficult pupil but he does
0: come very highly recommended
1: not all books are for everybody but no, yeah that true. one that one works for me and i'm pretty i'm trying to be careful about not taking too much writing advice yeah don't read everybody's blog post on 10 yeah. things to do or not to do or whatever but yeah the guidance of a good <laughs> mentor whether by book or in person is a great yeah. thing
0: yeah. For me, it's uh, it's definitely Anne Lamott, Bird by Bird. That's that's the book that's that's both my favorite book about writing, and also has the couple of pieces of advice that have that that kind of, that I keep coming back to over and over. Okay. Like one of hers is, um, when you're really stuck, imagine uh, a one inch picture frame, like one inch by one inch, and only write as much as you can see in the one inch picture frame. You know, like focus on a tiny detail or a single moment to get you past you know, where, where you're stuck. And that's that's advice that's been really useful to me again and again. Plus, she has the advice about it's okay to write shitty first drafts, which I really, really like. It's always good to hear. Yeah.
1: Because, <laughs> you know. Because it's inevitable. You're, you're going to. Yeah, it's <laughs> you're going So to. it's
0: good to hear that, that that's all right. Go ahead and
1: struggle against yes. it. You're still <laughs> yeah. going to. Yeah.
0: Anything else? Any other books that you were thinking about or want to talk about or anything we haven't touched on yet?
1: I do have to confess that for my new novel... The End of Music by Jamie Fitzpatrick,
0: <laughs> published <we'll> by <laughs> Breakwater Books. We'll mention it again in the intro and the um, extra of this podcast.
1: I actually s- kind of hijacked the structure of it from uh, a novel I read some years ago, um, which is called The Hand That Her- The Hand That First Held Mine by Maggie O'Farrell. Okay. She writes, she structured it in alternating, two alternating narratives mm-hmm. throughout, of a young woman, like Mm -hmm. just sort of coming of age story, and hers takes place, I think, back in the 60s. And then a young man who's her son, set in the present day. Mm -hmm. So, so so-and-so back in 1963, and then her son, Bill, who's now in his 30s or something in, in the present day. And that's essentially what I did. Uh-huh. I wrote my story using Joyce, who's in Gander in the 1950s, and her son, Herb, he calls himself Carter, using his last name Carter, in who lives in Ontario in the present day. Okay. I'm pretty sure I didn't steal anything else from her. <laughs> um, but I did lift that. I didn't, I'm didn't. i not even sure I liked the book that much that she wrote. I like my own good you should yeah I should Um, but I loved the way that she did that and I at some point I thought when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do because you have you know these Mm -hmm. ideas you don't know what the hell you're going to do I looked at that I thought back on her book Maggie O'Farrell and I thought I'm going to do that Mm -hmm. and see if it works
0: I think even if it
1: just gets you started like you know but as, as it turns out i stuck with that structure and it worked for me you know?
0: yeah. i i i can totally say that. i kind of did the same thing with most anything you please my new book also out this fall from breakwater books um <laughs> in that i was doing this big sort of multi-generational story about a family and it was you know covering six decades and there was a lot going on and i was getting kind of overwhelmed by it and i read an Ann Tyler novel that I'm now not going to remember the title of, but that's okay. It'll be on the blog. It's a fairly recent Ann Tyler novel, and it is a multi-generational family saga um, about a Baltimore family, of course, because everything she writes is set in Baltimore. And it has, you know, bits that go back to the 1940s and then some in the present day and filling in gaps in between. Um, And for her, in that book... Uh, the house, the family house is kind of the touchstone and what the house means to different people. Love that. Uh, yeah, and I ended up, you know, I always knew that, that my book was going to be about a family that owned a corner store in Rabbit Town um, but th- I sort of, yeah I borrowed from her too, I think, because I use the store a lot in the same way mm-hmm. that she uses the house in the novel and what it means to different people in different generations mm-hmm. so I don't think there's anything wrong with stealing a structure no. or a, a something like that from a, another writer, you know
1: um, I want to ask Carrie one more one question about her book because I've, I've read it um, did you sort of make a deliberate decision that you were kind of going to get out of the way of the voices of the yeah of those sex workers that you interviewed as much as possible and the other people who are who surround that world
2: yeah my goal with the book from the get-go was by the time you know someone had read the book from front to back I wanted them to get to the end and not know where what my opinions were
0: well, that's interesting yeah
2: I wanted people to just read these stories this is how they've been told to me I pad it a little bit with the footnotes you know to talk about laws and, and so on but yeah I I wanted I wanted to get out of it and it was actually really hard at times it was really it hard to, to walk that there. line yeah
0: so you're kind yeah. of removing yourself as the authorial voice altogether, and just letting their yeah. voices speak oh yeah that's what I'm trying yeah. to do
2: yeah and um Eva Crocker, Eva, Eva Crocker interviewed me for the Overcast there a little while ago, and she asked a, a really interesting question. She said some of the stories in the book, they're more descriptive. You know, you, you talk a little bit about what's going on around you and kind of give a little bit more of a preface to the introduction. And I, I looked back on it, and most of those um, where I did give that detail at the beginning, I did in person, and then the ones that were done over the phone, I did not. And oh, I hadn't even noticed it before, yeah. but it makes perfect sense uh-huh. that she picked up on that. But I have a question. Um because obviously you guys write novels. I have never written a novel. Uh-huh. Have you ever just created a character and you thought the character was so good that they deserve a novel? Or do you start, like, how do you start? Or do you come up with this idea? Or how, do, how does how, has it work for you guys? When I was it like, I'm going to write a novel? <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> I think I, um, I think I come up with people that I would like to write about And, you know, poke around at and find out more about and see what I can make up and see if I can see if I can turn them into characters that feel real. Mm. What about you?
0: For me, it's a combination of character and setting because I usually, though not always, write historical fiction. Often there's a time and place that really interests me. And if I can picture a character who I think would work in that... Mm. Uh, then it's 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 getting a character and setting together, and as we were saying earlier, plot usually comes as in my case a very poor third there, dragging along behind. We must throw in some plot, uh, but you know, with with you know most anything you please. For example, I had this idea of wanting to write about a corner store because I had been talking with friends about the corner stores in the neighborhood when we grew up, and nice. how the neighborhood had changed and so many of them disappeared. And I thought, what would it be like, you know, for a family who had been keeping? And I had this image of the woman behind the counter of the corner store you know taking a long drag on her smoke and you know listening to the ping of the door as as her neighbors went seeing like the life of the whole neighborhood in front of her and then i thought you know i'd like to get to know this character better so that's mm-hmm. kind of what it is for me it's the fusion of character and setting mm-hmm. putting a person in the setting i want to write about and then trying to find out more about them
1: uh, one of the things that i kind of learned or developed or figured out over the years both from my reading and also from talking to people, other writers, and also from my uh, writing group, because I'm uh, our group. What do we call ourselves? The Port Authority. Sorry, I almost <laughs> missed great. that. Anyway, that's our that's our writing group. And one thing I figured out through working talking to those guys is the reason why plot isn't just this device. It's actually quite intrinsic. Is it's how your characters get revealed, right? Yes. So I'm going to write. I'd like, really like to write a story about Trudy, who is on Freshwater Road, right? <laughs> and she seems like kind of an interesting person, but how can I make her more interesting? Have her walk out the door and drop a brick on her head. What happens <laughs> then, right? <laughs> so that's, I kind of, yeah, really started the cotton on to plot as the thing that enriches the people that you write about. So yes. if you think of yourself as someone who writes about character, and I do, then uh, story has to be your best friend.
0: Yes. Or you're yeah. not going to get far. Yeah. That's... No, I agree. That's plot is it's, you know, how how characters are revealed is through the stuff that that happens to them and the the obstacles people face in getting to whatever it is they want. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, that's I try not to give advice, but that's my like cuz what I know about writing is a drop in the ocean of what I don't know, but that's works for me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you think you ever will write a novel, Carrie? Is it something I'm that working on mean? one
2: yeah. based and I asked the question about the character because I I've created this character that is based on uh, someone who is uh, kind of a, a a peripheral family member. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, some of me and some of my husband and some other people. But anyway, it's this person named Bride Pittman who lives at Around the Bay. And she's the character that drove the story that um, I had that was nominated for or shortlisted for the cover, oh, What okay, Do You Know About yeah. Wrestling? Yeah. And she's a fantastic character, mm-hmm. and I never ever thought that i would i had have i've never had any desire or goal to write a novel. But when I created this character, for the short little story i I thought bride deserves a novel
1: uh-huh. and
2: and
0: that's kind of what.
2: Yeah. turn so me she, on to that. She
0: almost wanted the novel to be written. Yeah, to Yeah, be, uh, and I
2: don't think I ever could with any other character, but yeah. this character, to me now, seems to be in and, in and of herself. She has nothing to do with me, uh-huh. and I just feel like now she needs to tell me her story, and I'm she just going to write more. it down. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm about 40 pages into that, oh, but fantastic. we'll see. I mean, who knows?
0: But... Well, I hope we will see. I hope we'll get to read your novel at some point.
2: But Trudy, I just have to say this, your, your novel now coming out, I feel like this needs to be said publicly. I think you are one of the most under- You're one of the most underrated fiction writers in Newfoundland. I think that you are like Wayne Johnson, Lisa Moore... Like Michael Crummy, why are you not winning all the awards? I have no idea, and I have to say that, that publicly. Is so kind so of don't you. you dare cut it I out. I may well do end not this cut it out. out of this podcast. That's very
0: kind of you. I've to said say. it
2: before, and people have been like, "I know, right?" And so I feel like that needs to be public.
0: I think I think we all have our lists of people who we think are underrated and should be winning more of the awards. So it's very kind of you to say. And I read a lot. Well, let's so. to know. <laughs> Thank you. Yay. Well, Yay! Way to go. Good <laughs> talk. Uh, thank you so much guys we're just about out of time but this has been such an interesting conversation thank you so much for sharing thank you
1: uh, thank you
0: and that wraps up my conversation with carrie cull and jamie fitzpatrick if you want to check out the blog to see the books we discussed this week please go to my website trinitymorgancole.com and click on the shelf esteem link As always, I'd like to give a thank you to Chris Cole for editing and theme music, and I'd like to encourage you to listen again in a couple of weeks when I'll have some more great guests coming back to talk about great books. Until then, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.